Hi, this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK Show. On the Relax Back UK Show, we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilt, with the Relax Back UK Show. Now, we're all short of time, so maybe finding a way to spend less time in the gym could be useful. Well, it seems I found it. Well, it's a shorter, intense way of training, okay? EMS, or electrical muscle stimulation, is just that. You get small electrical shocks while training. I tried it out. At the moment, I'm essentially wearing a, a very tight, slinky black outfit, uh, which is slightly damp, so it's a little bit odd. Then something that is really important to the whole world, and doesn't really seem to be getting the press it deserves. And actually, the World Health Organization has said it's in kind of one of the top 10 threats to mankind. The topic is the growing resistance to antibiotics. So please do stay tuned for a great show. Thank you. station that makes you feel good. Apples and pears, beef and skittles, cider with rosy, common or garden, ant and deck, fish and chips, mum and dad. UK Health Radio and Health Triangle magazine. Each is good by itself, but enjoying both is always better. Add Health Triangle magazine to your monthly health regime. Check it out at ukhealthradio.com. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being center in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. So I went for an EMS session with Mike Boone of Miha Body Tech. It was pretty much a new thing to me. I must admit, I rather liked it, although it was very different indeed. My first question to Mike was, what does EMS stand for? Uh, well, hello, Mike, and yeah, thank you for having me on your podcast. Fantastic. I've uh, been looking forward to this. Um, so EMS stands for electromuscular stimulation. Okay, so that, that's what it abbreviates. But we actually have what we call whole body EMS, so it's WB. EMS, whole body right. EMS. So that's, that's what it stands for, but what is it? Oh, okay, so, so EMS is, so it's a, a way of, um, what we do, so we add, a, we add an electrical current to the body, okay, via our electropads. So it's, it's a way of stimulating muscles using electrical current. That's what effectively what our machine does. Okay, so, uh, and that's used to help get fit, get stronger? Yeah, strength, mainly strength. Uh, strength training is the, is the big thing with EMS for us. Um, and yeah, you're going to get fitter, you get stronger, and uh, the medical benefits are absolutely fabulous as well. So can I sit there watching telly, plug this thing in, <laughs> and, and get ripped? 
No. <laughs> Effectively, no. No, you have to. It's an active system. So, you know, we always say, look, if you're going to be, when you're doing EMS, you know, you're working out at the same time. You're, you're just getting, a, you're getting, your muscles are, are getting stimulated. But you, rather than standing there getting zapped, you've got to do a workout. So, you know, with our machine, you do, with a trainer, it's always trainer-led. So you do a, uh, you do a series of exercises um, in conjunction with, with, with whatever your goal is you're trying to achieve. Uh, and that's what you, you do from there. So, so what's the advantage of just training against training while you're, you're you're getting little minor electric shocks i suppose yeah so it's a more in, it's a more it's a shorter intense way of training okay um so the benefits it's the 20 minute sessions mike you know you only have to do 20 minute sessions just once per week that's all you have to do just once a week you can still do it in conjunction with other things you know we always we don't want people to stop going to the gym or pilates or yoga or whatever it is that you do but incorporating one strength and conditioning session with EMS a week will make a, make a huge difference. Um, and so, yeah, the big time, time saving is a big right. factor. Nowadays, you know, people are short on time and, you know, we're all, we're all probably a bit too busy, I think, sometimes. But so if you can fit a 20-minute session in a week, I'm pretty sure most people can fit that in, you know. Yeah. Okay, so, so the number one thing is, is a time saver. Yeah, time saver, absolutely. And it's, and it's just more, it's a more effective and intense way to train, you know, in 20 minutes, right. yeah. Okay, so... And so who is it aimed at? Is it aimed at sort of people like me, so I'm, I'm just a general bloke, or have you got, you know, elite professional athletes using it and do you actively push it at those people? Yeah, so, you know, we, um, it's 18 to 80, Mike, you know, it really is. You know, we have um, our client base, yeah, it's, if you go to our, our clients and our studios, you know, it's everybody who comes in, and it, it is literally for everyone, you know. It's from my mum, she can do it, you know. Um, we have, but we also, like you say, we've had elite performance athletes over the years who've done it. And uh, can you drop any names? Are you allowed to drop any names? Oh, I suppose so. I don't. I don't see how it hurts. Um, so if you go even on YouTube, you'll see Usain Bolt. He's in our kit doing it on on YouTube. Um, yep. Um, if you go on there, you look at Usain Bolt and type in EMS, and you'll find it. Uh, David Hay, the boxer. Uh, Dina Asher Smith. She used to actually come into the office where we are now and train on the machines. Uh, okay, you have to tell me what she does because Asher's I'm. A sprinter, the lady. She's the fastest uh, lady in the UK. A British sprinter, Adina Asher Smith. So again, yeah, so you've got people at the top of their game doing this stuff. Yeah, I mean, even the, the guy who opened the office originally, a uh, German guy, so he was very quite well connected in the sports industry. So he used to um, train the German national team, football team, on EMS as well. You know, so we used to have all these photos up in here. And yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So some famous names <laughs> use it, have used it, and obviously, I guess, found it useful. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, I think for Usain Bolt, his his thing was was that reaction time of getting out of the blocks just that bit quicker, you know, and that was it because his race was ten seconds or less, you know. So it's things like that, really. Um, but strength gains is the is the biggest thing, and uh, yeah, no, uh, we're not all elite athletes. So you, you, you said for like for, for regular people who are looking to get a bit a bit stronger, um, there's a, a time saving. So what would you know, if, if I wanted to, you know, go along and, and use this, can you kind of describe what, what happens? <laughs> okay, so you go along. So you have, um, and it's always done with a trainer. It's always trainer-led, you know. So you go to one of our clients, and they will take you through a qualified um, EMS uh, uh, trainer will take you through a session. So you go along, Mike, and what we do, we're going to do today, we're going to do a session, you know. Um, so you put our specially designed jacket on with electro pads, and the same again, we have a glute belt and some straps for the arms and the legs. Um, and that's, and then we hook you to the machine. And what happens is that's then 
like I said earlier, you know, the machine supplies that electrical stimulus via the pads to your muscle groups to initiate contractions, and that's where um, you get a more intense workout. And the machine actually works on a frequency of what we call 85 hertz, and this is important. So you've got its 85 contractions per second on the muscle. And that's quite mind-boggling. So, you know, so, so your muscles are being contracted 85 times per second when you do strength training with our EMS device. So it, and that's where the intensity comes from. So rather like you and me now, we did it one on our own. You know, now it's, you get one contraction. With a machine, you do 85. So it's, okay. it's quite mind-boggling. But when you're using your muscles to pick up a weight, your muscles contract naturally. So we're not using EMS. If you include EMS... That makes your muscles contract more. Doesn't it make it easier to lift things? Uh, this, this, this is a bit of a dumb question, probably. But no, no, no. So what happens is, so if you're you're adding a stimulus to it, so with the machine, there's no weights involved as well. Okay, so you still get the resistance, but without the the, the weights, and that's what you want. So the the more intense, the more current you add to the muscle groups, the harder it is to to make you know to to do a do a curl and stuff like that. Right. So that it makes it more that, like that shorter intense time to, to train. Yeah. Okay. So and she touched on this a little bit earlier, saying you always do it with with a trainer and someone around. So which kind of begs the question: if you know if you turn it up too high, can you do yourself some damage? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like anything, you know, you've got to be safe. The so safety first is a huge thing for us, and that's why it's always trainer led and it's always one to one. And always train a lead, you know, so you're going to have a qualified EMS PT there taking you through a session. And that is exactly what we do with, with all our clients. All right. So while you're doing this, if you, like, if you go to the gym normally, you say, right, today I'm going to concentrate on arms or legs. That's what, that's what people say. Can, can you kind of concentrate specifically on certain muscle groups with this, uh, with this stuff? Yeah, so the machine actually targets eight major muscle groups. So, we, like I said earlier, we call it a whole body EMS, and it, we, we, we try and have this whole body approach. This is what we do. But what happens is there are, there are individual channels, which I will show you later on, uh, where you do, you have your, your quads, your glutes, your lower back, your upper back, your lats, your abs, chest, and your arms. So we activate these eight major muscle groups. And again, depending on how you want and how much you want, it's, you know, you fire up those muscle groups to a certain point where you're comfortable with, you know, right. so you are targeting individuals, but it's a whole body approach, you know. Okay, all right. So it, it's quite flexible by the sounds of things. It can be, yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's, again, you know, you, everybody's different as well, Mike, you know, we've trained, you know, over the years I've trained so many people, but everyone's different. Like you will be different. You might be able to take more on the arms than I could. I might be able to take more on the legs than you can. And so you have to really, and, and you understand, that's what we do with the training. We make sure the trainers understand the client and about the, what the, the limits of where you can go to. And, but it's always that fine. You find a biting point and people go, oh, okay, yeah, I feel that. And, and that's kind of where you go. So I'm going to find out in a minute because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have a go. But does it like tingle? I mean, what, what, you know, what, what, what's the actual process when the thing is turned on? What do you feel? You're absolutely right, actually. It's like a tingle. And, and again, you'll feel it in a minute. But so when you, you start to add the current and you kind of keep turning it up and suddenly hit, there's a point where like you see, just start to feel it kicking in. And it's because your muscles are being hit at 85 contractions per second, you know. Um, and the machine actually works on what we call a, a four seconds on, four seconds off protocol. So what that means is it's time under tension. And that, that's a big thing. So let's, if you imagine you're in a gym and you're lowering a weight, it's one, two, three, four, and then back up again and so on. So we use the machine on that kind of principle. So you're keeping the muscle under tension during, that, during that, the on phase. 
and then you have four seconds break, and then four seconds contraction again, and, and so on. Right. So when you, when you're using the machine, you you have to wear this special piece of clothing. <laughs> what what exactly is that? Can you describe that? Yeah, so it's a specially made a specially made jackets, um, and we give you some undergarments as well. Um, and they contain certain elements called tensile, which kind of helps retain water and, and, uh, and perspiration and things. Uh, but they're specially designed to work with EMS, okay? Um, so we'll give you those to wear. It's like a top and a shorts, okay? So we do that. Um, but also, so on top of that is, a, is again, is a specially designed jacket with electrode pads, all, and they're all done in pairs. And same for uh, the glute belt and the straps, all specially designed to work with EMS. All have electrodes within them that apply that to your electric current to your muscle groups. So something that I always ask people when they've, they've got, uh, I was going to say a, a new thing. This isn't necessarily new because it's been around for a while. Actually, how long has it been around? Oh, do you know, uh, do you know EMS, as, as, as EMS has been around for centuries, Mike, and um, I'll, I'll give you a brief history. So, I mean, uh, the Greeks, go back to Greek times, you know, they used to use live electric eels to cure headaches. You know, I don't know how I'd feel about having a, a, an eel on my head, but they used to do it. You know, and but it's funny how things work out down the years. And then uh, as you go out to Galvani and his frog's legs experiment, where and he just put um, electrical current across his dissected frog's legs, and they moved. It's like, well, okay. So and it's things like that that obviously over the years you then start to uh, elaborate on and become and progress. You know, so uh, yeah, so it's been around for a long time. You know, I mean, even in uh, you go, go back to the seventies and eighties, I think, and there was some kind of stuff that was leaked from the. American, Olymp- um, American and Russians uh, Olympians, mm-hmm. and they were kind of like using EMS back then to get strength gains, but a lot of it was never published because it was maybe well known or was behind the Iron Curtain and stuff like that as such. So yeah, yeah. but yeah. So. All right, but so it, it's well known now, and obviously you mentioned some big names that that use it, but is is there any actually sort of published uh, research that you know real proof other other than sort of uh, just a, a few people that have used it and obviously. Used, used it well and gained benefit yeah absolutely yeah so so we actually work with um uk active who are the governing body for sports and that in the uk um so they they published some reviews for us they've done some work um we have we have loads i mean i have probably hundreds of studies mike over the years we are all science backed and we um we have there's a college in in germany who do a lot of the online training and face-to-face training as well uh called the gluca college and they they done they've been with us since day one you know and they've done a lot of studies over the years so we have all that but the most recent one actually is um we just had something published from the mayo clinic in the u.s which was fantastic, you know, and very prestigious. And they did some work with our EMS, and they kind of, they published a review, and it's, it's wonderful. I can send you all this as well, and I can give you links if yeah. you like. Yeah. Okay, yeah, links would be good because I think if if listeners want to follow it up and they're interested, uh, links would work very well. Okay. Um, so essentially, you get a mild electric shock. Um, should anyone avoid using it? So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the classic thing if, you know, someone has a pacemaker or, or something like that, can it interfere with that sort of thing? Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, we're, there are a certain uh, contraindications. Not many, but there are some absolute contraindications, such as pacemaker, like you say, uh, pregnancy is another one. You know. um, so there's a few on the list. There's also some relative indica- contraindications where the, the client may be okay to train, but we say if you're not sure, just get a doctor's certificate to say you're able right. to train. There's not many on there, but... Um, and implants. Implants is big on whether whether it's a breast implants or any other kind of implants. You've got to give the, the tissue time to heal. 
So it's got to be, you know, if it's, if it's uh, you know, less than six months, we say probably don't. Oh, okay. So if you've had an operation to put these kind of things yeah, in yeah. recently. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you've got to be careful. As long as, if, as, long as the, sky, the tissue is healed and stuff like that, then you're fine to train. It's not a problem. Right. But, but there are just a, yeah, a few contracts. Okay, so the idea is that you, you, you could potentially damage the tissue around where the thing's been put in yeah, and you stop the healing process that's because right. remember you know if you're having stuff implanted you've got to have that healing process and you don't want to to, to damage that you know yeah okay um people often like to exercise at home now particularly with covid people working at home you know people buying stuff to exercise at home people going out jogging that sort of thing um now can you do that with this equipment? I'm kind of thinking not, because you said a couple of times it's important to have a trainer, someone who knows what they're doing there with you. Absolutely, yeah. So we, we recommend, if you're going to do EMS training, go to a, a qualified EMS personal trainer, you know, in, within, within their clinic and studio. And, and you, you know, you, you get a trainer-led experience as well, and then they take you. So you haven't got to worry about anything as well. And they take you through you know a safe effective session of 20 minutes and, and it's a quick sessions it's only 20 minutes you know but yeah have a qualified trainer every time and you will get the most out of that session i, I promise you okay so up, up to now for your for your 20 minutes yeah. you're gonna yeah. presumably the next day you're gonna feel like you've done some work you know your muscles are gonna think oh okay i've, I've done some work there this is a good thing because let's face it there's there's no gain without a little bit of pain so you get stronger can you use it for you know getting a bit thinner will you burn off some calories doing this yeah it's actually the doms effect is actually not the day after but the day after that so it's two days later so you feel it goes a lot of people say oh you're following day feel, feel good you know day after that oh now i'm feeling it so, so it's, when you say doms uh, delayed uh, onset of muscular soreness um so that's what happens you know two days later you get that um so yeah that, that's what happens with that um when it comes to the calorie burn okay so this this is kind of funny actually so you know you i think you know you see a lot of people who say oh you can burn 500 calories in doing this sessions and whether it's a hit or whichever you know but we try and go away from that mike because you know if you don't work hard in a session you're not going to burn 500 calories and that, that, that's the way it is you know i mean you might do 100 if you're lucky you know so i say to people look you know i work i say to people if you do a session we work on the epoch effect, excess post-oxygen consumption, which is, which is where your body burns calories for 12 to 24 hours after the session, okay? Which is a really, so that's a really cool way to look at it. So rather than what you do within that 20 minutes, it's about what you do for the next 12, 24 hours. So that's what you do. Um, and so that's the way that, that, that works. So can that, can that be measured and quantified? You can do, yeah. I mean, you can do like um, you can do tests with that as well. Um, but it's also about. But you come down to good nutrition, Mike. You know, this is the biggest thing. If you're if you're not eating and drinking right, you're not going to see any difference with that at all. Yeah. You know? So you've got to make sure that you're doing that. Um, so yeah, when it comes to that, think about you know, the long the longer term effects rather than the short term yeah. effects within that. Essentially, this this is part of being healthy. If you if you know if you drink ten pints every day and do this for twenty minutes a week. You're not going to see a lot of difference. Exactly, like anything, Mike. You've, you've got to, you know, you've got to make a commitment to something as well. But the, the cool thing is, like I said earlier, it's for all ages. You know, Mike. I think that the oldest person I think I think we trained, her name was Beryl. I think she was 85. And and for her, and and you know, we all get older, Mike. You know, and, but it's all about um, depending on the age range. If you're old, it's just gentle muscle stimulation, just mm -hmm. to keep the body moving. And and it's a really good feeling, and it's a really good way to help people keep moving, Mike. That that's that's a really cool thing, you know, as well as the fitness and the medical, you know. All right, so it seems to have a lot going for it. Uh, is my well, <laughs> yep. 
I'm going to have a go in a moment, so I, I will report back. But um, are there any sort of potential drawbacks that people should be careful about? Now, so I, I did a little bit of um, online homework before this chat, which isn't always the best thing as far as getting good information concerned. But I did see that there was mention of a, a potential breakdown of, of your muscles, maybe that's if you work too hard, or I don't know, leading to proteins being released into the blood. Um, and they said this can potentially cause kidney damage, maybe from your kidneys working too hard, I don't know. So anyway, this is just something that I found online. Um, I don't think it was from a, a published paper, so it was probably not much more than online gossip. But are there any concerns, any things that people should just be slightly wary of yeah sure yeah the one the one thing we the reason we do this is where it comes back to once a week Mike doing just one one session you know one, uh, just 20 minute session once a week so there's, there's a thing called CK which is your creatine kinasis and it's, it's an enzyme in the blood and it's an indicator of how hard you work out okay now believe it or not after just doing you know, one 20 minute session today when you're after your session your CK levels rocket and I mean literally rocket because you it, because it's an intense workout okay and and it takes and it's your, your CK levels the, the the peak CK levels are, are set after 72 hours okay so you've got 72 hours and that's the reason you have to have we'll say look you've got to have at least four days between EMS sessions strength training but as, as a rule we just say do it once a week and then you'll be fine you know so um, and that's the reason because your body has to have time to recover otherwise you can you can you can damage it like anything so done in a safe um, proper way then you know give yourself time to recover you're, you're good to go again and that that's why is the safety first is important about that EMS that's a big thing yeah okay right so I'm 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 looking forward to my 20 minute go more yep. and more I have to say so I'll, I'll report back but while I'm talking to you now if people are thinking at listening to this I thinking this is kind of interesting let me find out a bit more what can you suggest a, a good a good resource where they can like, see some pictures, see a video, get some more info, maybe even see some links to uh, some scientific papers on it, that sort of thing. Absolutely, Mike, yes. Yeah. So uh, if, if your listeners, if they, if they go to www.ems-training.com and you'll go on there, see all our clients, and it's, it's, um, it's an EMS finder. You, know, you can find your local EMS uh, operator. You can contact them if you're interested in, uh, in looking into EMS and trying it out. And there's some really good papers on there as well, some good research stuff. And it's a really nice tool to, to have, a, have a look around, really. Yeah. Okay. So are, are there quite a few places around the UK where people can try it out? Yeah, yeah. And it's getting more and more well-known as well. So uh, in London, there's quite a lot being probably the main hub in London. But we have places in Manchester, you know, Coventry, Birmingham, Bristol, um, Edinburgh, loads in Ireland, you know, Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland. It's, it's, really, yeah, it's really growing in popularity, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I have to say, I am still completely intrigued and I'm looking forward to having my go. So thank you very much indeed for chatting. And, uh, well, we'll be chatting again during my, my session of EMS. OK, so after chatting in the office with Mike, I got changed into the EMS outfit. And this now finds me ready to start the process in the training area. OK, right. So now we're getting ready for this EMS system so what's happened is I've put on a an undersuit which is kind of stretchy material and I, I suppose it looks like a, a tight bodysuit so there's a pair of shorts and a top um, then on top of that I've got a, a waistcoat which has got 
electrodes in it. How, how many sets is it, Mike, of electrodes? So there's eight, there's eight pairs in total, um, including the straps and the glue belt. Right, OK, so eight pairs of electrodes, and they are in this, this uh, jacket. Then there's a belt that kind of goes around my bum for the glutes, and then a belt around each thigh, and then a, another loop that goes around the top of each arm. So I've got eight lots of uh, electrodes. Then there, there are wires which are going to be plugged in to the machine. The whole lot is made damp, so Mike used warm water to start off with, which was made it a little more pleasant. So at the moment, I'm essentially wearing a, a very tight, slinky black outfit, uh, which is slightly damp, so it's just a little bit odd, but I'm still intrigued and looking forward to what's about to happen. I will check in later and tell you. Okay, right, so... I've still got this stuff on. I've been wired up and Mike turned up the individual electrodes till I could just kind of feel a little tingle. And I have to say, it was quite a pleasant feeling. And then just, so just to get me used to it, he said, move around a little bit with the thing on. So I did a little yoga salutation to the sun. Uh, feels quite nice. Uh, I'm attached to the main thing with a, a, a wire. Apparently, uh, some of the newer versions are wireless which sounds good to me um, but working with the wire is absolutely fine because it's, it's, it's a long wire and there's plenty of space so now I've got used to it he said now we're going to do the, the, the 20 minutes workout so I'm looking forward to it and uh, again I'll report back afterwards so I then went ahead with the workout some simple exercises things like arm curls and twists it was just 20 minutes only 20 minutes long it felt like I was doing some work, a bit like on the odd occasion I, ha I have been to the gym. But, you know, I'm not a great gym bunny. However, two days later, it was very obvious that I had done some work. My muscles over my whole body were pretty stiff, pretty sore. So I've, I've had that experience when I have worked hard in the gym. So it was something that I uh, recognised. So I think the result must have been somewhat similar from just this 20 minutes. Um, so it really was an extensive workout in just 20 minutes. UK Health Radio. The station that makes you feel good. A cancer diagnosis can be scary and stressful for everyone involved. Hello Love is a contemporary living space and well-being centre in central London where anyone can come and learn about illness prevention and non-toxic practice. Inside, you will find a vegan restaurant, juice bar, and holistic dojo that encourage lifestyle changes to help heal mind, body, and spirit connection. Cancer patients are offered free sessions. To find out more, please visit us at hellolove.org. A for horses. B for mutton. C more cheeks. Dig for victory. E UK Health Radio and Health Triangle Magazine. Each is down. good by itself, Gin but enjoying tonic. both Lauren is always Lauren. better. Marks and Spencer. Add Health Triangle magazine to your monthly health Mother regime. Dad. Check it out at UKHealthRadio.com. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. The next topic is resistance to antibiotics, and my guest is GP Dr Aggie York. I started off by asking her if antibiotic resistance 
is a problem and just how big a problem could it end up being? It is a problem. So um, I think just to explain what it means, first of all, so antimicrobial resistance is where microbes, which are small organisms, which could be bacteria, fungi, viruses, etc., um, become resistant over time to the common remedies that we would use to treat them. So in the general context with thinking about antibiotics, that's bacterial changes so that they no longer respond to antibiotics. And actually, the World Health Organization has said it's in kind of one of the top 10 threats to mankind. Um, we've become a little bit complacent, I think, over the last few years in terms of giving out antibiotics. They have been an absolute game changer for the general population, for the world of medicine. And we all assume that if you get an infection, antibiotics are going to work. Unfortunately, we know if we don't do something about it now, in the next few years, we're going to have resistant infections that you just can't treat with any antibiotic. So it's a really serious thing that we need to consider. So, I mean, there are resistant infections now, in fact. So, you know, people are dying now, aren't they, I think? They are. Um, so Abbott has conducted some research which has shown that actually from 2020 to 2021, the number of resistant infections actually went up by 2.2%. It's a massive number. And I'm seeing it every day in general. Give us the number then. Is, is that just a percentage doesn't necessarily mean much? Yeah. So I can see you hunting through your notes. That's, that's I good. Am, I am. Let me let me find the actual statistics for you. So in that one 12 month period, you're looking at uh 148 severe antibiotic resistant infection strains a day in 2021 so that's 148 a day um okay. so that so these are these are people that could quite easily die they could die some absolutely. of them probably did actually yeah. out of those 148 absolutely um and we know actually that those infections will go on to cause other consequences as well so it's not necessarily always about dying it's about leaving people with an increased mortality so an, an increased risk of other complications because of right. those infections um so uh, we know particularly in terms of antibiotic use that if we continue to give antibiotics for infections that perhaps don't need them that that rate of infection resistance will increase over time okay. so so this is serious stuff so you know you could go into hospital for a very simple operation you know an ingrowing toenail or something and the fact is not come out get an infection that can't be treated and it could kill you of course and that used to happen historically um and i think the other thing of course is that everybody always thinks about antibiotics only be used in in the case of a current infection but actually we use antibiotics in the world of medicine to prevent infection. So if you go and have um, an orthopedic procedure, say you need a pin and plate in a fracture, it would be quite common for the surgeons to give you a dose of antibiotic IV before you've even woken up from the anaesthetic. And that's a preventative measure. because We know bone infections are really serious. Um, those kind of things may not be feasible in the future. Um, you might go in for a routine fracture fixation and not come out as exactly as you say well, okay all right so th this is very very serious stuff so i guess i guess what can 
what can we, you know, the punters do to help? And also what can doctors do to help? So we know when um, patients are asked about whether they feel they need an antibiotic or not, that 11% of people would say they'd like an antibiotic just to be on the safe side. And that's research that's been conducted recently by Abbott. We know that only 63% of people know that an antibiotic will only work for a bacterial infection. When people come to the doctors with their coughs, their colds, their sore throats, over 90% of those people are actually going to have a virus. There's absolutely no point at all in giving those patients an antibiotic. They're not going to get better any quicker. They're probably going to get horrible antibiotic side effects, which no one ever really considers. Um, you know, upset guts, um, thrush, um, feeling just generally quite grotty because they're, they're quite caustic substances that we're putting in. Quite strong. Body. Yeah. No, certainly my, my wife's had antibiotics and her guts have gone in utter turmoil. So. Absolutely. Yeah. They wipe out the good bacteria as well as the bad bacteria. We need our good bacteria to keep things in check, particularly with your guts, exactly as you say. Um, in fact, we know that the more antibiotics you have in a lifetime, the increased risk of things like inflammatory bowel disease, the colitis, Crohn's disease. There's a real association with that at the moment, particularly with antibiotics given in childhood. And, and we know that's that's difficult because children generally make doctors a little bit more concerned they can't always tell us their symptoms they sometimes deteriorate very very quickly they come in relatively well and within the space of two to three hours they've actually deteriorated and we worry about sepsis in children because it can happen very quickly so we would often use antibiotics more um, commonly in children with infections than we may do in adults that can give us a little bit more history or are a little bit more robust shall we say so uh, I think Sorry, I interrupted there, but a bit of a summary for what we, you know, the non-doctor community can do to help is just educate ourselves a little bit. Antibiotics rarely help, you know, because actually we could have a virus. Don't expect to the, expect the doctor to prescribe antibiotics and just kind of get on with it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think ultimately try a little bit of self-care first. So that would be my take home message. If you feel a little bit poorly, if you've got a bit of a cough, but you're not otherwise gasping for breath, you're you know not about to keel over, you don't have any pre-existing medical conditions, try a bit of self-care, speak to your community pharmacist, get your old fashioned remedies out. If you feel really poorly or you've been told you're at risk, go and see your GP. The important part of, of this is to trust what your doctor is saying. If your GP turns around to you and says, you don't need antibiotics at this time, listen to the advice that you get. Um, we know on this um, survey that Abbott conducted that 9% of people will go and seek another opinion if they're declined antibiotics, if they're asked. If you're told you don't need antibiotics at this time, your doctor or your healthcare professional will give you a list of symptoms to consider that indicate that you're not going to get better on that on your own, that you may need another opinion, another examination. That's what we call in the world of medicine safety netting. You need right. to really take advice on board. If you deteriorate or if you're not getting better within this set amount of time, you go back and you see your healthcare professional we know that can be inconvenient, but the reason why we give you that advice is really important. Um, it might be something as simple as if you're not better in three days, come back 
or if you become more breathless or very importantly, particularly in things um, in terms of things like cancer, if you cough blood, if your cough still persisting after six weeks, we want you to come back. That's not necessarily because we want to give you antibiotics. It's because we may mm-hmm. then want to launch into other reasons why you've got a cough. The, the important thing is okay. listen to your doctor, trust what they say and follow their advice if you're not getting better. So follow the leadership. So we need a bit of leadership from the top. So, which, and there's this one thing I've got to say about this. So it wasn't that long ago that the, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care, Theresa Kofi, said it was fine to share your leftover antibiotics. You know, let's just give them out like sweeties seemed to be the message coming from the top. And I, I can't help thinking that wasn't such um, a great statement to have from literally the, the top. Would you, would you, do you think that was a good statement to share? Absolutely. Um, it was spoken about, as you can imagine, in the medical forums, particularly as sharing medication is um, technically illegal. Um, if they're prescribed for you, they should only be taken by you. Yeah. Well, let's face it, it's utterly bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. I couldn't and, and, believe and also, it when I heard this. And also, if you're prescribed a course, you must take that course as prescribed. The whole point of giving so many days, even if you feel better, is to ensure that all of those bacteria are eradicated by the antibiotic if you don't complete the course you're in theory at risk of increasing antimicrobial resistance because the bacteria that are left behind then go on to multiply divide and then produce a whole new yeah they don't die and they become resistant absolutely i I mean what could possibly be the motivation for such a comment from the very top i think ultimately in terms of the pressure on um, healthcare professionals to be able to offer appointments. I think it was perhaps a little bit of a um, a message which should have gone along the lines of self-care, but it, it came out the wrong way. I think what should happen is if you feel unwell, you go and seek advice from your community pharmacy, like we've already yeah. said, and, and see what they say. Um, and, and I suppose that's the, the other argument is should antibiotics be available over the counter? Um, I think ultimately to just buy them off the shelf like you might do a a tube of cream for dry skin is inappropriate but we do have schemes already in the UK where you can have a private confidential consultation with your community pharmacist who may be able to give you antibiotics on what we call a a generalised directive so that is where they have an authority which is signed off which allows you to get antibiotics for things like cystitis or um, um, sexually transmitted infections, for example. Those antibiotics can be prescribed if you hit a set criteria and the pharmacist is um, confident that you're going to need them. So that's a little bit different to walking into a pharmacy and picking them up with your weekly shop. Yes, no, I agree. Which again, actually, was something which was a potential banded around by by Theresa Kofi. So bizarre. So I, I think maybe uh, for the sake of both our blood pressure, we should put Theresa Kofi to one side uh, for, for for the moment, because um, I, I can feel myself getting angrier as I, I <laughs> as I speak. Um, but coming back to as you've been a GP, do you so? Do patients ask you, actually come and ask you for antibiotics if it's inappropriate? I think patients are worried. Um, We've had a big campaign, rightly so, about the uh, the signs and the symptoms of sepsis. 
Um, sepsis isn't a new thing, by the way. Sepsis has always happened since the age of man. Um, it's a severe, overwhelming infection that causes an inflammatory response where your body just can't maintain its blood pressure and ultimately you're at risk of dying. We know with certain infections, um, viruses can do it, but also bacterial infections that you are at risk of getting sepsis. And the message out there is that you may need an early antibiotic to treat it. I think the important thing there is that you are you've got to be guided by what your doctor says. Um, if your doctor says to you, you are at an increased risk of sepsis, I want to take these, I want you to take these antibiotics earlier than perhaps, you know, I would recommend for somebody else in a different situation, then again, take their advice. So again, we, we have patients who are, um, they, they're taking drugs which suppress their immune system. We have patients who may have had a really severe, overwhelming infection in the past. They may be advised to take antibiotics at an earlier stage in their illness. But for the general population, when they're going to their GPs, when they're going to their healthcare professionals, if they don't have any of those signs and they're told, actually, at the moment, you don't need that antibiotic, mm -hmm. take, that, take the advice. Right. And is, is there a, a simple test to find out if an infection is a virus or a bacterial one? So, so to know that actually antibiotics have a chance of working or not? Yeah. So I suppose the, the point here is that um, 90 percent of the diagnosis generally comes from what the patient will tell you and the course of their symptoms and how they've evolved over time. And that's something that we all learned about at medical school when we were all training as junior doctors. Listen to the patient, ask the relevant questions. You may be able to get your diagnosis without even seeing the patient face to face. Um, if we then do have a look at the patient and we have a list of clinical signs, again, we're going to use them to, to bring up a probability of that infection being bacterial or viral. But I think the other thing to mention within that is that some bacterial infections are also what we call self-limiting. So not every bacterial infection will need an antibiotic because it's so relatively minor that your body has actually a really sophisticated immune system that will allow you yeah. to combat that infection on its own. So things like bacterial conjunctivitis, simple cystitis, very minor skin infections, some of those things may get better on their own. The difficulty well, actually, they probably will, won't they? I mean, with our, our, our body does it all the time. It does do it all the time. So I think the key, again, is to take the advice that's given to you. In terms of respiratory tract infections, obviously, we're in the middle of winter. We've had a bad winter with um, particularly nasty bugs that are going around at the moment. And we know that it can be difficult to ascertain whether somebody has viral bronchitis or a bacterial pneumonia. The, the signs and the symptoms can be very, very similar. Um, I'm very fortunate in the area that I practice that we have invested into this message of antimicrobial resistance and trying to get extra tools in our toolbox as GPs to be able to determine whether somebody may need an antibiotic or not. And every single practice in my locality, of which there are 36, has a machine made by Abbott, which is what we call a point of care testing machine. It's like a finger prick machine where you will have um, a little drop of blood put into a cartridge. Within three minutes, it gives a, gives a level of a reactive protein called CRP. 
Now, what that shows is if your body's really struggling with its immune system to shift off an infection on its own and whether you might need antibiotics. We use it for coughs that are not getting better. Patients who maybe historically have been told you have a winter cough that always needs antibiotic. We know now that may not be the case. And we can and does, use does that. Does that actually tell you for sure if it's a viral or a or, or a bacterial? No, it's not the viral versus bacterial. It's the likely to get better on its own. So what we call self-limiting right. or your body's struggling to get to get rid of it. So we know in early viral bronchitis, this CRP level may be elevated, but then it will get better over time. And what some clinicians would do then with a very borderline reading is, again, give that safety netting information. So if your um, cough doesn't get better within this amount of time, if you develop a temperature, if you become more short of breath within this amount of time, you must come back. We would then listen to the patient's chest again, retake the history. We may even repeat the CRP if it's on its way up, on its way down. Those kind of things will all add to our toolboxes as to is an antibiotic appropriate at this time or not. There's, of course, yeah. other things that doctors can do. We can send samples of bodily fluids to a lab to see if bacteria grow there so it happens commonly with urinary tract infections may happen with sputum samples in respiratory tract infections may happen with swabs on wound infections and what the lab do then is they actually process it and say well this antibiotic will work for this infection or yeah. there's no bacteria infection there at all so these are all things that we can do um Technology is coming on all the time. Like I said, we are incredibly lucky within my area of Rochdale to have the ability to test a CRP for these respiratory tract infections. And that's because the uh, the technology developed by Abbott has been funded by our local area to get our antibiotic prescribing down. Right. So this presumably this technology is pretty expensive, is it, Aggie? It, it is an expensive test, but in terms of the actual cost to our local community seeing these rises of um, resistant infections you, you may end up having to go to hospital at some point in the future to treat something that 10 years ago you could have a course of seven tablets for so it's, it's invest to save now um, but of course as, as with all health economy you've got to look at priorities etc within our area we were a very high antibiotic prescribing um, area we have quite a a lot of um, uh, 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 quite a lot of severely poorly patients in that area people with long-term health conditions deprivation um, and we know that particularly um, high rates of admission for things like respiratory tract infections so we needed to target those who really needed the antibiotics first and those who perhaps would get better on their own at home and the patients have really taken that message on board. Um, they tend to listen to us. And and again, like I said, so you know, the, the percentage of people that listen to their, their 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 GP in your area is is higher than the what was it you said? Sixty three percent of people only actually really believe their GP. I think sixty three percent have heard of of the term antimicrobial resistance, and they they know that bacteria respond to antibiotics, viruses don't. Um, it's nine percent of people seeking a second opinion straight after they've had one opinion and 11 percent of people wanting to take the antibiotics just in case because they think that'd be a good thing to do right. well it, it sounds in your area you're on top of it now that this resistance 
to antibiotics is a, is a world problem uh, for for sure. So uh, this is probably a bit of an unfair question, but I'll ask ask it uh, anyway. In in other countries that have different healthcare systems, it's probably easier to get antibiotics. You know, you can buy them over the counter in various places. I'm sure. So it's you know that that's got to be a concern and a worry, hasn't it? It is a concern and a worry, but there's also other countries who are doing this exceptionally well. So in Scandinavia, for example, they've had access to point of care CRP testing for uh, about 15, 20 years. They were like the forerunners um, and, you know, they pretty much CRP test absolutely every single person who comes in through the door with a cough. Now, I, I know that they generally will have a different healthcare setup to the to what we have so um particularly in the world of um uh, private medicine they may be having a private test before they receive their antibiotic we we've got a very different healthcare setup in the UK where we obviously have to budget and we have to allocate funds accordingly um i do think that we are thinking all the time within the NHS how to make things move more efficiently um, make cost savings um, and embrace modern technology and a lot of areas will be working with local universities and research groups a lot of areas employ research doctors to help with this and all of this kind of goes on behind the scenes you often don't realize when you go and see the GP that there's, there's a whole team of people within that area that are looking at tools and and kit and educational materials to help combat uh, many of these problems. All right, no, that's good to know. Now, if, if people are listening to this and they're thinking, goodness, you know, I, ha I hadn't realised this, you know, this is this is terrible. I want to find out more or find out what I can do to help or, you know, how I, how I need to get involved as a patient or whatever. Where can people go for a little more information that is kind of aimed at Joe Public? So, oh gosh, aimed at Joe Public. Um, I think I think ultimately you need to go and speak to your healthcare professionals, your community pharmacies, and you need to take on board the advice that that you're given at, at the time. Um, I think as as we move on, we will potentially be getting more educational materials coming out there more advertising campaigns um you know saying think do, do you actually need an antibiotic um but ultimately your healthcare professionals are going to be the people to listen to don't be in that nine percent statistic of immediately wanting to go and seek another opinion um you know please do seek another opinion or go and see somebody again if you deteriorate as per the the healthcare advice that you've been given but don't automatically you know discount that information and go and see somebody else because you really want something that may not do you any benefit yeah all right now that, that sounds like very good advice and, and a good place to leave it for now so uh dr york thank you very much indeed for chatting for a few minutes on this actually vital topic <laughs> thank you many thanks to my guests on this week's show and they were mike boone from mihar body tech and GP Dr. Aggie York. And of course, thank you to you for listening. If you're listening to the podcast version, please do the subscribe and like thing and do have a healthy week. Until next week. That was the Relaxed Back UK 
show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again next time.